Hello, and welcome to the Humble Brag Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Mandel, and I'm joined today by none other than my beloved again, Sharon. Thank you for joining. Thanks for having me. Um, today, we're going to be getting into the Aliyah series. This is part three. It's probably going to be a, por- a four-part series. We've already done two episodes, and we want to continue where we left off. So if you haven't checked those out, I suggest you do so. If you have any interest in Israel or making Aliyah, there's a lot of good information in those episodes. In episode one, I think we talked a lot about stigmas um, and the idea of Israel, the dream of Israel. Having an open mind, where you want to live, all the things that come along with the move. We recorded that during our pilot trip in Demona. We were weeks into our pilot trip already. In episode two, we discussed a lot about the struggles because we weren't able to actually complete the Aliyah process due to COVID-19. We were stuck in America. We were stuck there for many, many months. And we kind of ended that episode during that period. So in this episode, we kind of take that further because we actually made it here a couple months ago in December. Um, so now we've actually made it here and we've been here for a couple months. So we have some insights and stuff to share regarding already, the next part of the journey. Yeah, already living here. Um, first of all, I want to begin by congratulating my mother and her husband, Izzy. They actually made an Aliyah this week. They arrived uh, a few days ago. So Mazel Tov on that. My mother-in-law and father-in-law are starting the Aliyah process, so it's, it's really exciting. You know? Family's all common. Yeah, one by one. So that's essentially the ingathering of the exiles happening in front of us. And whether you have family or not, that plans on coming, that shouldn't take a role in your decision whether you should come or not. Follow your heart. If it says Israel, come. Yeah, it was a pleasant surprise, although we, we kind of had a feeling that your parents would want to come because most of their family, most of the kids and grandkids are here, yeah. um, but not this, not this soon. So hearing that somebody make, is making that decision or looking into that is... It's exciting. Is, yeah, it's really cool. Making an Aliyah during the pandemic, um, <laughs> we kind of went into that on episode two, so I don't want to um, dwell on that really uh, whatsoever. Um, it's obviously tough. Everything's complicated. Even once you're here, um, trying to fly out, come in, go out, everything's just, everything's just more difficult. If it wasn't already a difficult process, everything just becomes more difficult. So Trying to continue the steps of Aliyah once you arrive in Israel because of the pandemic. A lot of offices are closed. A lot of things are closed. So the usual route that you would take is just slowed down. A lot. Yeah. Um, so what I would do is I would think, look, we were we recorded episode two while we were still stuck there. I don't know all the itty bitty details. You probably know better, but essentially we figured it out, pulled through, and got on a flight and got an Aliyah visa and was able to move a few months ago. Um, Set up our homes best as we can so far. Right, which goes into the, the, the furnishing. You know, we discussed in episode one and two the cost of moving and cost-related stuff. What you should bring in the list. And if we discussed that things that mean a lot, like think about their value and if it can be easily replaced here because how much it costs to bring it with us. 
we chose to bring a minimum amount of stuff as possible and buy locally. Yeah, so it's like moving anywhere, I would say. If you're, if you're going to move and you have to purchase everything in the new location, it's expensive and you're going to do it in increments. Unless you have $20,000 to purchase everything, you're going to be doing it in part. So we have one guest bedroom, for example, that's not furnished yet. Um, in that sense, you're going to do it gradually. If you do uh, bring everything on a lift, then I guess you could say that you might have your place fully furnished much quicker. But your, whichever way you go about that. it. Yeah. Mom brought most stuff. Whichever way you go about it, either one way it might be more expensive, but you get new stuff, but it's, it takes time and there's a lot of setup. Um, we learned through buying stuff at Ikea and other places, moving things are difficult, right? They don't have U-Haul trucks. You're not going to a U-Haul and picking up a U-Haul for 20 bucks and, and bringing some furniture to your house. Um, you could either use move, uh, movers of some sorts or you could pay for delivery. Um, so there are certain aspects that are different, right? Everything in a certain sense is different, just a little different. And some of it's annoying. Some of it's actually um, more what, effective. Some, some of the stuff, some of the protocol efficient. here is, is more efficient, right? That's the word I was looking for. Uh, most of it is not when it comes to logistics. <laughs> so. And be prepared that the simplest things are going to take you a long time. When we went to Ikea, I think every time we went to Ikea, it took us about five or six hours. We thought we learned the system, wrote everything down, go to the that basement level and go to the bins and the aisles to get all of our furniture, only to find we have to go back upstairs and order things upstairs. <laughs> and then come back downstairs, yeah. but this has to be picked up here. The signs were all right there telling us what to do, but they were in Hebrew and we didn't know. Yeah, it's retired. Just when you think you figure it out, you don't have it figured out. So everything takes forever here. Every, everything's a full day activity. You know, there's that idea that you're going to run out and you're going to run to the store and pick something up. You're going to run to Walmart and, and pick up a desk. Those ideas don't exist. You don't want, set expectations. You want to go shopping. It's an entire day activity. That's really funny. We discussed making that decision to check out other places outside of city, uh, center, right? So outside of Jerusalem, Modin area, uh, we went down to Beersheba, uh, Dimona. We checked out the Negev. We really liked it. Our intuition said that this is where we belong. Now that we've been here for three months, what do you think... How do you feel about that decision now that you've been here for a few months already and you're, it's more practical, the living versus... I'm, I should say, pleasantly surprised, but I thought that I would like it. You know, we decided to open our minds and go to the Negev. And when we did our pilot trip, we really enjoyed Demona and the open space. We chose Yerucham. We're here now and... Every time we go outside, we feel this feeling of, I mean, I feel this feeling, I believe you share in it with me. Ah, look at the mountains, look at the open space. There's just so much beauty in Israel. And even though it's not an English speaking community, there's very few people that speak English. There's a lot of what they call closet speakers. Yeah. So people help you out here and there. We're forced to use more Hebrew. I'm very happy with our decision to stay away from the cities. We thought moving here, we didn't have a, you know, children yet. Maybe we should be in a city to meet people. 
We have a wonderful neighborhood. Yeah. We're actually just signing a lease for the next three years for this apartment. We're very happy here. Yeah. I remember going through those thought processes and I feel the same way. Um, I'm happy we checked it out. I'm happy we broadened our horizons. I'm happy we made this decision. And now that I'm here, it constantly and consistently reminds, reminds me. me that it was a sound decision. There are certain like stuff that we look at almost on a daily basis and it's just like, wow. Will it fade away over the years? Maybe, but certain sunsets, I mean, you can see pictures that we take looking out into the mountains, um, seeing the mountains just from, from our, our porch is just, um, it's, it's beautiful. So there's absolutely no denying it. Day-to-day -day life is different also, obviously. Uh, being in a city that has a ton of stuff uh, versus in a small town that doesn't. You're limited here. But we only, I think, feel slightly limited because we don't have a car. You know, right. the closest city is a 15-minute drive, which is really easy. If you have a car, it's common practice. You get in the car, you drive 15 minutes, you go to the grocery store. Here, you have to go more frequently, and they don't have as big of a variety. So to take a bus to another town. Yeah, so I would say despite, despite those drawbacks of not having it's everything at your, at your fingertips, it's still worth it at least for us, because we're not city people to begin with. So I, I think that's, it's absolutely stunning. So we talked about that, the idea of broadening your horizon, checking out all of Israel, not just the stereotypical tourist locations. I think it's very important because it gives you a different perspective of what it means to move to Israel, to a different country. One thing that I had written down here, I made some notes at, you know, over the weeks, because I knew that we were going to record this and I wanted to remember some stuff. Some some little stuff like living in the desert we gathered we learned that it's very dusty in the house right um every day it's special it's hard to explain <laughs> because we're very clean very organized and you could sweep every day there's just so much dust and it's not even sand there's sand too if you leave your windows open you'll get sand in the house even if you're two stories up because of winds the wind. there's high winds here and the sand kicks up it gets in but forget about sand there's just dust that piles up in a very very clean well-kept apartment on a daily basis um, and there is no way that you could be on top unless you're ocd and you're wiping down the counter every single day not counter but surfaces that you wouldn't otherwise touch it just builds up well once a week you know most surfaces do get wiped down especially before the weekend and almost every day sometimes twice a day we find that we're always sweeping yeah and we're we're surprised every time you do a sweep it's like whoa we just swept a day or two ago and it's just so much again and and it, and it builds up everywhere the high surfaces, under the bed, behind the toilets, behind the cabinets, everywhere. Just a ton of dust. But it's still worth it. It's still worth it. <laughs> it's a weird detail. I don't know where it comes from. I don't understand it. I, mean, I understand the sand. I don't understand the dust part. There's, it could there, be there's, the vents or something. I don't know. Right, it might be ventilation. There's also a lot of construction going on in, in the area where we live, so maybe it has something to do with that. No idea. So we're actually gonna purchase a, these robot vacuums, these really flat ones that roll around on their own every day or twice a day. And it could go under the bed and different areas to try to alleviate some of that because the frequency at which you have to sweep to keep a place really clean is almost out of hand. Yeah. So that's a funny thing. 
And you got to make it work for you. Some people won't mind it as much. We do. So that's our solution to it. I'm not going to not live in the South because of all the sand and dust. We love the South, so we find a problem solver. Overall, I I would say we're pretty comfortable with our moves. So, uh, and you move, you, you move past things really quickly. So within a matter of months, I won't even have any cash air, no connection or even feeling towards the difficulties we had in the first few weeks. But I will say, speaking to my mom who just moved and reminding me a little bit, there's a lot of difficulties that revolves around paperwork, dealing with companies, right? <laughs> Wi-Fi, um, Water, cell phone, gas, every, electric, everything. everything. Everything is a struggle to a certain extent, unless you're like a superhero um, assistant as, as your day job and you're used to calling these companies. Um, everything is just more difficult than it was in where you come from. Unless you have a proficient Hebrew and you understand Israeli culture inside out, those things... The way in which they do it, they just do stuff differently. Yeah. So those are very annoying. We came up like with this joke that we were saying, like, everything has to be done twice, right? Everything. Everything (laughs) has to be done twice. I don't know if there's anything we did that we didn't do over. The internet that we ordered find out that it's crap, try to work it out with them, you don't get anywhere, they send you huge bills that, you know, for service they never gave you, I had to switch to a different company. Doesn't matter what it is, cell phone, gas, you're on the phone with them 15 times before you can sort anything out. Everything in that department of paperwork, um, services, subscriptions, medical, we're here three months, we just finally got help to get online on Maccabi online. <laughs> And even the woman at the place is having an issue with it. The login yeah. didn't work. You, you know, your two dots are hoot. Your ID number didn't doesn't work. And All the apps are in Hebrew, so when you initially log on, you don't know what to do even on it. So everything. I mean, there's just so many. Obviously, if you're interested and you go through the Aliyah stuff, you know how many different stuff you have to do. And we didn't even complete everything. We just applied for our passports because we've been here for three months. We still have licenses to switch and other things. But in the beginning, that's very heavy. Why? Because you move, you need Wi-Fi, you need cell service. And I work from home. There's no, there wasn't any strong service. So all of a sudden you find yourself in a pickle. And that's exactly what my mom has now. She's in the hotel, the quarantine hotel. They throw her in there. Horrible internet. She works behind the computer. She can't do work. So you find yourself in a reality very quickly that... Kind of problem solve. You have to problem solve. You can't ignore it because it's your livelihood or, or you need those things. Also, be prepared. Nefesh B'Nefesh helps you in so many ways, but in so many ways that it's just not their place to. They're not going to help you with all of these bills and setting things up. It's just not their job. So Right. Well, a lot of people complain that post-Aliyah, there's, it's hard to get sufficient assistance. Nefesh B'Nefesh does what they can do, but it's, it's minor. Um, there are actually people and programs that are there to try to help, and, and communities and groups, because of Olim that did move, they knew the struggle and they want to help other people moving. So there are a lot of that stuff. We found somebody in our community out She's of this wonderful. world. She's I mean, amazing. So without these, t- and, you'll, and you'll have that regardless of where you move. You're going to have people who stand up and, and say, I'll help you. And those little things, those little gestures help a ton. And the reason they do is because typically there's a language barrier, which we'll get into. Um, You had mentioned before that everything runs differently here. Uh, We also talked about it on on other episodes, right? 
the way that they think of logistics and getting things done or infrastructure is very different. From an American viewpoint, I would say it's very weird and archaic. That's like the first label I would think visiting Israel, not really living here is archaic. It's just old school. It's not efficient. It's not quick, so on and so forth. They're building, the way they operate their businesses, lack of customer service. I mean, the list really does go on, but... As you live here and you get used to it, you learn and realize you're not in America anymore, obviously. You're not where you came from. Throw those expectations out the door. It's a weird system, but it is a system. For example, in in Israel, they use SMS for everything. They're obsessed with sending you text messaging codes. And they expect you to get those texts, to respond to them in one way or another, whether it's going to a link or going somewhere. So pressing a number. In the U.S., we don't put a huge emphasis on cell phones and SMS. We don't expect, we don't hold people accountable as a measure of we reached out to you, we did our part. Here in Israel, absolutely. If they sent that text message, the ball's in your court. Um, well, agencies. things are linked to your phone number. When we were getting rid of our cardboard boxes from our IKEA and we put them in the garbage room, it had our name on it. Our name is linked to our cell phone numbers. I got a call from the, the town. They see whose name it is, they see the apartment. It's linked to my cell phone number. I got a call from the town saying, you've got to move this. And of course, I didn't know what was happening. I get a call, yeah, it's Israeli yelling at me on the phone. I knock on my neighbor's door. I hand him the phone. I'm like, uh, help me, please. What do they want? Oh, yeah. That is, that's uh, funny. Your phone is, things are just linked up to it. So everything's linked up to SMS. Agencies even send you. Agencies, yeah. government agencies, the bank, doesn't matter who it is. Everyone uses SMS. There's a delivery, UPS. There's no UPS, but the equivalent here, which is crap. Some random guy that yeah. texts, some random guy texts you. You answer him and he's at your house in 10 minutes. Everything's SMS and they rely on that as if it's an infrastructure, as if it's reliable. But what you learn, that's what I'm saying, so what you learn with time is that it is a system nonetheless and the entire country does work on it. Maybe it works because it's a small country, low population, and everything is a little bit, you know, kind of like that. But, you know, what happens if you're out of the country, your phone's off, you didn't get the message or something like that? In, in America, for example, we're much bigger on emails. Um, or physical mail. Here, physical right. mail is not nearly as much. It it's doesn't not even reliable. come every day. Right. I don't, I don't know what the schedule is. So systems are different. Infrastructure is different. That's just a small detail, but everything's like that. You mentioned linked. Everything's linked to your ID number. Could you imagine in America, every time you want to buy something, a swipe a credit card? You have card, to use your, your, your license, license number. number yeah. Right. So that's what they're doing. You want to take a shopping cart, you need to put in your ID number to get the shopping cart out. Right, because if you don't return it, then they can hold you accountable and not give you another one because you stole or didn't return the cart. That goes into the personal responsibility aspect. But everything is here is linked to your to Udatsud, which is your ID number, which is in a in a weird way there's reconciliation on almost every action you do online, payments, everything. So everything you ever do here, online or otherwise, they want your ID number. To use any machine, anything, it's all about the ID number. You so, walk into a bank, you walk into the post office, you walk into any place, you got to put your ID number in. Right. So it's not convenient in, in American terms because we don't do stuff like that in America. 
So it's not convenient per se, but at the end of the game, it works and the entire country runs that way. And with time, you get comfortable, you get used to it. It's just part of the infrastructure here. So in the beginning, it's very weird. It's very different. It's annoying almost. But then you learn with time that it works and you rely on it and you kind of like, you know, you get with the program, as they say. Just some side fun facts about things being different. It's the smallest things from the road signs to people having dogs. But dogs aren't often like domesticated like you would think in the United States where they come in your home. They often live outside all day. Not necessarily wild in people's closed off properties, but they don't come inside the home. So you could be taking a walk at night and there's dogs outside. That's where they're living. Now, us as Americans, your dog like sleeps in your bed with you. It's there's things like that. Just watching them build. There's so much construction around us. They start super early in the morning, Israelis. By three o'clock, they're done. They don't work past three. And a lot of stores are closed from one to four. They like take afternoon. Yeah, they take they take the concept of a lunch break to, to a whole different level. <laughs> they close for three hours. Uh-huh. Some of them don't even open again until like five. And it goes back to what I was saying. In the beginning, it's annoying. And then it becomes your life and you get used to it. Um, right. It's like. What's if you only have that afternoon to go to the store? What's if you work other times? There's nothing you could do. In Israel, you bang on on death walls. Nobody cares. That's the system. Um, and you They're will, not there to serve you. Right. You will conform. Um, those are interesting details. But one of the, like, the crux of the matter for us, one of the stuff that you love about Israel is is that it's Jewish. There's a certain understanding. Um, you know, I'm Purim. I'm Purim. The buses were decorated. Right. The public transportation buses were decorated for Purim. Just there's vibe and spirit and love. On Friday, you open your door and, or you can hear through the window, just Jewish music playing. And it's not even people necessarily getting ready for Shabbos or even on a Tuesday. It's just, the yeah. Jewish culture is all around you. It's, you walk outside. It you hugs you. You walk outside, you don't hear hip-hop or um, or Spanish music. It's Jewish music. It's like I always say, in Israel, you live Judaism. In the U.S., you practice it. And and you really get that feeling when, when, you, when you live here. You see the difference between what it means that you're living in a culture that's living Judaism um, fry, not fry, doesn't matter, religious, not religious, the entire country observes holidays. Like you said, the buses have decorations in them. I mean, everyone is involved and it's all fun and, and cute. Oh, one of the things that I love, and this illustrates it really well, you remember there was this video going around on, on, on <laughs> WhatsApp, I'm going to play it. I think this encapsulated absolutely 100%, listen to this. I love it. Honey, I love it. So innocent. But if if this doesn't illustrate what it means, and, and let me tell you something. They like, can't about, get upset at their culture. They're yelling. They're, it's just what they are. It's, it's how they communicate. Today at the post office, we're sitting there doing a transaction with the person, and this Israeli comes up, he takes his letter. 
Then he yells like, it's not mine. He throws it under the little slot at the male person. And she like looks up at him like, what? Like, he doesn't want the letter. It's not his. Doesn't matter that we're standing there. And she didn't even get upset. She's like, okay, this is how people are. What's interesting about this is that you think it, for American, from the outside perspective, it comes across as anger and aggression and all that stuff. But there's actually a beauty in it. And you learn that really quick. First of all, Jews could be Jews with each other. We are being ourselves. It's this concept of being yourself and expressing yourself the way that you are. So you're stiff-necked people, you're heated, passionate people, you express yourself that way. Whereas in the U.S., we learn to be idle and respectful and for the Joneses, it's all about for the neighbors and all that stuff. But really, you have all that passion inside of you. Now. Don't mistake in this type of stuff for anger. It's not. Those two people yelling at each other, they're having road rage, you and mother effer, and they're going back and forth, and your mom's of this, and your dad's of that. They could get out 20 minutes later and hug each other and do a little dance, a little, a little, um, you know, uh, tongue. Like high five, like they'll be fine, they'll be good. No one's going back to their car to get a gun to try to kill you. Right, because it, it's, it's like not real that. anger. He's heated. It's He's heated. Rah, rah, rah. And then you, you move on in life. Um, I won't forget somebody who was helping me with, with these phone calls. I don't know what we were fighting about with one of these companies. They, I think the internet sent it back. Might have been internet or something. And she said, don't be afraid. Even in English, if you get an uh, English-speaking rep, don't be afraid to, you know, be yeah. passionate and yell back. It, that is how you communicate here. You get into it and nobody takes it personal. That's how you iron things out. If you're going to come and you're going to be respectful and only speak calmly, you're not going to get anywhere. Like you said, we're in the post office. Before that even happened, oh, we're waiting a line. Boom. She must have been 80, 90. <laughs> there were three people in line in front of her. She got her pajamas on. She just shredded right up and she the just second, stood right there. The second the person walked away, she just came running in with her. Boom. And what do you do? You know, you know I, I grumble or say something. And the other guy who it was actually his number in front of me, he, he said something and backed away. It, and it wouldn't but no one was mad. No one, like, really was upset. Just, I don't um, know. So, yeah, like, you could, you could come here and interpret all that stuff as rude, right? Um, somebody bumps you. They're probably, most cases, not going to say, excuse me, or I'm sorry. Oops, you know, knocked your... Then somebody bumped you on the bus once, like, elbow in your face. <laughs> this, stuff... this is how we were sitting on the seat, and I had to get by, and there was a stroller. I was in his face. <laughs> so that's really interesting, though. Uh, but that's, that's the beauty. So... It depends how you look at it from the inside or the outside, but you could, you could see it as like this negative, aggressive way of living, or you could see it as letting go and allowing yourself to be passionate because that is in our DNA. Um, and I think a lot of people actually love that. As was illustrated, yeah, he's yelling, I'm yelling back, sweetie, I love it. <laughs> I think that's awesome. I think that encapsulates it so well. Regarding travel, so we don't have a vehicle now. And first, let me ask you, what would you say is, your, is the hardest thing? You know, we've been here for a couple months. What would you say is the hardest thing living here without a vehicle and being in a new country or just in general? What's the hardest thing or two? Um, I'd say knowing or trying to figure out how much time to dedicate to a task. 
if I had to go to the grocery store back in America, I know about how big my shop's gonna be, how long it's gonna take, how long it's gonna take to get there. Here, I have to, I can't go when I want because I have to go on according to the bus schedule or I have to walk. How much time is it gonna take me to walk? How many things am I gonna get at the store? How am I gonna carry them back? Um, the one amazing thing about being part of a small town is I think four of the local bus drivers know my face, know where I live, and, and they'll, stop, right they'll stop when I have my grocery bags, they will stop right in front of my building for me. So that's great. Uh, so time management. Time management, of... but it's not only the grocery shopping, it's like when we said we went to Ikea, okay, I figured I'll take one, two hours walking around the store figuring out what we want. No, it took them six hours. I remember. Because of the language barrier. When we went to the bank, it just takes so long. Apparently, if you have a disability card, you don't wait on any lines, you don't need any reservation. So even though I made a reservation online, I showed up, I put my two thousand in, I got a ticket with my number. Three people with like disability, like a group came in, all of them get served before me. So you just, yeah. that's not something that I would think. In America, you get there, you're going next. Time management, it's just very different. Sometimes the bus schedules might get you somewhere earlier and then you're waiting around. So that's the first thing that I think is the most difficult. I, I thought that setting up all the bills and all that was too much. I kind of handed that over to you. You have to find the partner that could deal with that better. Um, I, for me, hands down, it's the language. Um, I would say that the hardest part of moving and being in, in a new country if you don't speak the language, is the language. So I would put a huge emphasis on anyone considering it to just try to learn as much as you can before you move. Um, we're gonna start doing OPAN at some point. It's very difficult. COVID, they, they, they closed the regular OPAN classes. They only have this quasi online crap. We're gonna start soon, but the bottom line is language is absolutely the most difficult because language goes into everything. You're shopping at the store, you don't know what you're buying. I don't know what's the cream cheese, what's the cottage cheese, what's the sour cream, what's, what's margarine, the cream what's cheese, what's butter. I just don't yeah. know what they are. I did have somebody actually took me on a grocery tour, the grocery store tour, and I learned what a lot of the products are, how they're separated, that was very, very Yeah, she's helpful. amazing, she took us around. Um, so absolutely language, hands down for me. Uh, Travel, not so much, but it is a thing. So what I would say is like this, uh, we talked about this, busing is very convenient here, it takes you everywhere. Um, however, the practicality of living somewhere in a town like we do, where you don't have a grocery, let's say the next door to us, um, and it requires going on a bus, the practicality, the day-to-day -day practicality of not having a vehicle is obviously difficult. But here in Israel, to buy a little tus-tus, a little lawnmower car, is you know, 50, 70, 80,000 dollars easily. So unless you're ready to drop serious dollars on getting a vehicle, you're either stuck using the bus or you're walking. One of the stuff we just looked into, which we're probably gonna get really soon, scooters. are scooters. We're in Beersheba, we're in the mall, and you know, those city scooters, um, the ones yeah, yeah. that like the bird and zip all those. Right, we 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 use them in Tel Aviv. We use them in Baltimore. Baltimore. So so those 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 little scooters. Anyway, they sell them. You could get you could get one from anywhere from you know With a good one from seven hundred bucks and up, um, maybe fifteen hundred shek and up. Um, if you want a better one, they're a couple thousand shek. But the point is, for a thousand bucks, you get on a scooter. You don't have that waiting period. So here we have to wait every twenty minutes. You say oh, twenty minutes to get to town. That's not a lot, but. 
When we need to go somewhere, we want to do it right. Like I said, the practicality. You want to go pick up some apples in town. You don't want to necessarily wait 20 minutes or it doesn't always fit the schedule. The practicality finds itself to be a little bit annoying. So for the, for the meanwhile, before we purchase a car, which may take six or 12 months, who knows, we're gonna, buy, we're gonna buy scooters. The ability to just jump on, five minutes later you're in town, you're getting what you need, you come back home. And a lot of people here use scooters and bikes, electric ones. We're talking about the battery ones, the ones yeah. that you just, you, you, know, zoom, you, you zip around. You can put um, a basket on the front, I can even put a seat on it if right. I really want, I don't want that. Um, but for me, I will go, they also fold up, so, when I want to, I like to cook, like I, I like to f make fancy things. Our local store, our grocery store, doesn't have all the ingredients. It's a small store. For me to get on a bus and then go to another town and take the local bus around there to get to the stores that I want, it could take a really, really long time. Having a scooter, I can fold it up, put it underneath the bus, just take the city to city bus, jump on my scooter, go wherever I want in that town, throw the bags on the handles, and just throw that scooter back on underneath the bus. It just, it'll save so much time, even locally. If I wanna go visit a friend, I wanna to go to the post office, I wanna get anything, it won't be an hour trip because 20 minutes waiting for the bus, the time sitting on the bus, maybe my activity took 20 minutes and then waiting for the yeah. bus again. I'll just cut it almost less than in half. Longer trips, I, I think we find it pretty convenient to jump on a bus to go to, let's say, Beresheva. Because um, when you're taking a longer trip, it's more planned out. You say tomorrow at around 3 p.m. you need to go somewhere. Or today, like we're flying to the U.S., we're going to get on a bus to Beersheba and then on a train towards Tel Aviv. Not so complicated. Would I rather have a car? Absolutely. But you have to be ready to take on the expense of a car. Uh, the scooter, I think, will serve good purpose. I'm also going to use it for you know the, the, the tours that I take in these towns. Instead of taking my bicycle, because I did some of the, the, the towns near me, I can't ride my bike 100 miles. I'm not that And you can't put the bike now. underneath the... If we start putting the bike underneath the bus, it starts getting busted up. The scooter is also very convenient because they fold. So you could take your scooter, put it under the bus, boom, and I'll be able they to do like my um, video tours. 30 and what, 50 pounds, depending right. on what scooter you have. Um, and the be you know, obviously the better ones, the better it is, the more kilometers and the more time you'll get on each charge, the faster it'll go, so on and so forth. Um, so I think that'll be a good thing. And it's not, it's relatively affordable. You say, to, to spend $1,000 for something that's gonna get you around for years, even when you have a car. You might find it convenient to jump on the scooter to go down the block to your neighbor. So to spend $1,000 each for something that could really help get around, because we go to town a lot. Well, we do a lot of walking because it's the winter time in Israel now. Um, it's winter everywhere, but it's not cold. You just put a sweatshirt on and you can go. In the summer, it's going to get, I mean, over 100 degrees. It'll get really hot. So you get on a scooter, you get that breeze. You're not sweating when you arrive at your point. That's one of the things that works really well for us. The, re uh, the reason we could do this and the reason why a scooter is going to be so handy, we're in the desert. It hardly ever rains. It's almost always beautiful weather. Oh, yeah. It's gorgeous. It's, it's phenomenal. The three months we've been here, I think it rained one day and there was like a drizzle-ish for yeah, yeah. 20 minutes on another day. So that's one of the beautiful things, absolutely, being down here in the desert. Absolutely. One of the, one of the big stuff is this nice weather in, I guess you could say, the winter. In the summer, we'll get really hot. So when we do our, 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 our last episode or our later episode in six or 12 months from now, 
you know, we could talk about that because we will have lived through a hot summer. Yeah. Right. But um, now, absolutely. Hands down. I can't stand the snow. The you know, we've, it's frigid out there. We hear, we hear from our friends and family. It's 10 degrees, 20 degrees. Everything's icy. There's three feet of snow. Oh, it's, I come outside. It's like, it's almost like Colorado. kissing me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here during the winter is like, is like Colorado weather. It's just beautiful. So you could jump on a bicycle, a scooter, anytime, any of this stuff. And that's why so many people do. So there's the travel aspect to it. Well, one, one thing I'm remembering now, you... The beginning is very exciting, very different, and very, maybe some people would interpret it as, as stressful, or there's just a lot going on, because there's a lot to wrap your head around. It's, you know how they say time heals all wounds? It's the same thing. Um, as you're here week yeah. by week, everything that's a little scary, stress-inducing, it just slowly starts to fade away, and it just becomes comfortable. We're only here three months, so I can't even speak on a very high regard, but even and in the three been months... And a lot of things have been closed, but like... Even in the three months, it, it just starts feeling... When, when that feeling of home really starts to set in, which I express to you as, as you start getting this feeling, like, you just start feeling really, really comfortable, and, 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 and like stress or worries or stuff like that kind of just fade away. So you have to give it a couple months, maybe for some people even more, but those feelings go away. There's an interesting story. We talked about a lot of, you know, the struggles in the previous episodes. Especially when we were in Demona, everything breaking and the lights not we went working. Through that. We had similar, right when we moved it, we had similar stuff here. We were gone for a while. Our fridge was packed of stuff. And for weeks, um, and the fridge, brand new fridge, spent a couple thousand shack, oh, close to a thousand dollars on a fridge. It broke. Apparently, it was a floor model they gave us. Some, I have no idea. We didn't even know because we have the language barrier. We didn't know they gave us a floor model. Nothing. I ordered it online as a brand new piece. We come back. The place stinks to high heavens, well, and everything in the freezer was moldy. I mean, we, we didn't even know it. about it. Nobody. We somebody had our key, and I had asked them to do a small shop because we were going to be in quarantine, so they were going to put some food in our home. They opened the door a few hours before we were arriving from the airport. The whole place smelled. Right. And we're talking about hundreds of dollars worth of meat and food. It, everything was stocked up. It was completely moldy to the point of maggots. So they come to our place to make sure it's ready for us when we show up. The place is a disaster. It stinks, Just moldy, top to bottom. They um, hired a cleaning crew. Clean the entire refrigerator out, threw everything away, cleaned the kitchen. They literally paid for it, didn't tell us a word. We arrive on the taxi, the family meets us out front. She tells us right then and there, so I didn't have any stress. What happened? They had a home cooked dinner for us the next a few days, um, the neighbor found a refrigerator for us to borrow. <laughs> the whole community cooked the sh meals because all of our food oh went bad. Gosh. This was uh, right on the arrival. Um, this was right on this the This is arrival. right from coming from the airport from Aliyah. Yay, we made it. Right. Boom. So it just, it just shows further from, from our previous episodes. There's no end yeah. of, of 
of the struggles and difficulties. You have to really, really want it. So, right, so it just illustrates that there's no end in sight. And it goes even deeper than that. The, the fridge company never got my money back. I literally took a $1,000 fridge that I paid a couple months earlier for and tossed it out and had to buy a brand new one. You remember we said everything has to be done twice? twice. Everything has to be done twice. It just doesn't even matter. You have to like kind of laugh all that stuff off, understand that it will happen, and however it plays itself out, even with these nasty type of stuff, our home stunk for, for days. Every, I don't, I don't want to get into the details, it's, it's meaningless. Despite all the struggles, all those difficulties, you kind of get through it, things settle down, you settle down, things really start to get comfortable, we're happy, and we believe people you know, who really have the proper vision for something like this could be happy. Yeah, and you can't get upset at the Israelis. They're, the reason we threw it away is because they, the warranty would cover the air compressor. They'd fix the air compressor, but the fridge was full of mold and a right. smell. We left it outside for a month and a half open and the smell still stayed. So they don't care that it can't be used, but you can't get upset about that. And you're like, okay, you accept it. And the truth is that refrigerators didn't even have Shabbos mode. So it was like some little blessing and now we have one that works. And right, and it works well. Yeah. Um, they, don't, they don't care. It's, they don't, there's no regard for customer support in that sense. They don't work for um, you. There's a warranty company. They'll cover a compressor. But what do you mean? The whole fridge is moldy inside out, literally moldy. They don't care. So, okay, so I just lost $1,000 because you guys sent me a floor model or a no, faulty machine. Ask for. It's just, don't get upset at it. It's just all part, it's all part of it. Um, Laugh it off. And those end up being the very small things. In the beginning, it's not. When you had a stressful, it took you 10 months to get there. Everything went wrong till then. And then you get there and all that stuff is going wrong too. It's very annoying, but... You kind of move past it. The bigger picture is is that we're happy. happy. We love this place. It's it's um, it's it was a fascinating journey, and I do it all over again. Yeah, I'm also excited to share. You know, one more time, a little bit deeper in, see how it goes. But all in all, it could work, and it work it could work pretty efficiently if you're ready for all the bumps along the way. For sure. Um, so that's it for now. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you. Until next time, peace. Mm-hmm.